0: I want to get a lesson from this story in the Bible today that, that will help us understand what kind of man we do not want to be, what kind of men are usually found in society, and yet the man that God wants us to be and the men that God need. And of course these principles would be true for everyone, not just the men in the room, but I think it would have a very great application 1 Samuel chapter 11 is where I'm finding this story. We're starting in verse number 1. The Bible says this, Then Nahash the Ammonite came up and encamped against Jabesh Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh said unto Nahash, Make a covenant with us and we will serve thee. And Nahash the Ammonite answered them, On this condition will I make a covenant with you, that I may thrust out all your right eyes, and lay it for a reproach upon all Israel. And the elders of Jabesh said unto him, Give us seven days' respite, that we may send messengers unto all the coasts of Israel. And then if there be no man to save us, We will come out to thee. Then came the messengers to Gibeah of Saul and told the tidings in the ears of the people. And all the people lifted up their voices and wept. And behold, Saul came after the herd out of the field. And Saul said, What aileth the people that weep, that they weep? And they told him the tidings of the men of Jabesh the Spirit of God came upon Saul when he heard those, thing, those tidings, and his anger was kindled greatly. <clears throat> and he took a yoke of oxen and hewed them in pieces and sent them throughout all the coasts of Israel by the hands of messengers, saying, Whosoever cometh not forth after Saul and after Samuel, so shall it be done unto his oxen. And the fear of the Lord fell on the people, and they came out with one consent. And when he numbered them in Bezek, The children of Israel were 300,000, and the men of Judah, 30,000. They said unto the messengers that came, Thus shall ye say unto the men of Jabesh-Gilead, Tomorrow by that time the sun be hot, ye shall have help. And the messengers came and showed it to the men of Jabesh. And they were glad. Therefore the men of Jabesh said, Tomorrow we will come out unto you and ye shall do with us all that seemeth good unto you. And it was so on the morrow that Saul put the people in three companies, and they came into the midst of the host in the morning watch, and slew the Ammonites until the heat of the day. It came to pass that they which remained were scattered, so that two of them were not left together. The Bible says in verse number 1, as we retrace our our steps in this story, Verse one, then Nahash the Ammonite came up and encamped against Jabesh Gilead. Here you find an enemy. The Ammonite is the enemy of the children of Israel. And this enemy comes up against Israel. I want to remind you that you have an enemy. You have an adversary. And the enemy's probably not who you think. You know, a lot of times people think people in their own family, their enemy, or someone else is their enemy. I'll tell you who your enemy is. The Bible tells you who your enemy is. The Bible says you have an adversary, and your adversary is the devil. That's who your enemy is. Now, it is true, the devil can certainly be in a lot of people. But never misunderstand who the enemy is. So many times we, we really get confused with that. You know, the book says, We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Your fight should not be with people. Your fight should be the evil and the devil that lies within people, you see. I mean, we have a we have a devilish society. We have an evil culture. We have a violent, wicked world. But our enemy is not the flesh and blood people. That's what the Bible... We've got to recognize who the enemy is. The adversary is the devil... And whether you get rid of one flesh and blood, there's still a devil. Whether you get rid of the one that thinks you're... The devil is not going away until the Lord Jesus Christ locks him up. Amen. And he's going to do that one day, and I thank God for that. But until he does... We have an adversary. We have an enemy that's coming against us. That's coming against every believer, every child of God. And we certainly don't want to be like these men. What did the men of Jabesh do when the enemy came against them? Look at your verse. Verse 1. Then Nahash the Ammonite came up and encamped against Jabesh, Gilead, and all the men of Jabesh. Do you see this? Said unto Nahash, make a covenant with us and we will serve thee. Does anybody see a problem? As soon as the enemy comes in, the men say, we give up. Can we sign a peace treaty? Can we just not all get along can we be all on the same team? Can we be on the same page and not have a problem? I know you're my enemy. I know you hate the people of God. I know you hate who I am. But but can can if you just make an agreement with us, we'll serve you. Can I tell you what? These men aren't supposed to serve Nahash. They're supposed to serve God. They're not supposed to serve the enemy. They're not supposed to serve an Ammonite. So the first thing I see about these men is they were acquiescing men. That, thats how we're, they just gave in to whatever comes along. Can you imagine, ladies, if you had married one of those guys? And and you're and he and all the men of this of this city just sold out all their families. That quick. Make a covenant. You know what I see a lot? Guys, guys, listen to me. Everything in the Bible has an application to you. You know what I see today? I see people, I see men, I see Christians, I see people of God just giving in to the enemy. I don't want to fight, I don't want a problem. Oh, oh, I know you're the devil. I know you hate me. I, I, I know you want to destroy my family. But yet just, hey, we, we just want to get along. We don't want to fight. Whatever you want to do, I'll serve you. How many of God's people give in to the things of the enemy, of the adversary, of the devil, and they just go along with it? And it doesn't matter what it is, they'll just go along with it. I just don't want to fight. It doesn't matter what new things... To, I don't know what the next thing society is they, 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 They're pretty strung out out there. But I, they're not done. And, and what happens is the devil continues to come. And, and the culture of these men is just, whatever. We'll serve you. I see a problem. I see men that don't have any backbone. I see men that have no conviction in their heart. That have no belief in their soul about where they're supposed to take a stand. Make a covenant with us? Since when do the people of God want to get together with people that hate God? Since when do the people of God want to make an agreement With people that hate the Bible and hate the truth. Why do you want to get together and make a covenant with somebody that doesn't know your God and doesn't care about your God and doesn't appreciate a godly lifestyle and a godly family? Why do you want to make an agreement with him? Well, I just I just I just want to get along with everybody. You know, that's a lot of things. You know what it's not? It's not a man. It's not the man that the people of God need, that that ladies need, that children need. They need somebody willing to defend them, somebody with conviction. Oh, I'll just join you. You know, it's always easier. Listen, church. And this is true about church, too. This is true about our individual lives. It is always easier to give in to the enemy. Than to fight, but it shows no character. It shows no godliness, and it certainly shows no manhood. It's hard to fight the, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And we live in a day where people don't want to do any of it. Acquiescing men, sure. Well, you know what he says. He says, "All right." You want to make a deal with me? I'll make a deal with you. Look at verse 2. And they asked the Ammonite, answered them, on this condition. Guys, do you know every time the devil tries to take territory in your heart and in your mind and in your life, there are always conditions? Every time he wants to... to, to, Every time you think that you're making it easier, there's a condition for that lack of fight in you, that lack of resistance. It comes with a condition. You see, the enemy's not going to just say, all right, we'll be... No, he's going to have conditions. There's going to be a cost. You see, there's a cost to fight, but there's also a cost to give in. On this condition, will I make a covenant with you? What is it? What's the condition? That I may thrust out all your right eyes. Well, that's a real nice condition, isn't it? You know, the enemy, the enemy is uh, cruel. The enemy, the enemy's not nice. Don't play footsie with the enemy. It's, he's cruel. Don't play with the devil. He'll destroy you. He hates you. On this condition. thrust All all of you are going to thrust out your right eyes. Look at the end of verse 2. And lay it for a reproach upon all Israel. In other words, he wants them to agree to this because he wants to reproach God's people. He wants to reproach God. He wants them to have a bad testimony. He wants everybody to know they gave in to me. And that's exactly what the devil's doing today in every heart and life of every child of God. Trying to give the condition. You'll give in to his sin. You'll give in to his... temptation you'll give in to his philosophy so it will be a reproach upon every child of God so it will be a reproach upon God himself he says thrust he says that I may thrust out all your right eyes you know what he wasn't going to let them do that he was (laughs) going he didn't say okay you thrust out your eyes no he says you got to agree to let me come in there and go all through your town and grab all your right eyes out of your head. Wow. You know, right about there, I think something would have rose up in me, bro. Are you all with me? You, you want to take all our right eyes? Now, now watch it, guys. There is nothing in the Bible that's a coincidence. Everything in the Bible has a purpose. He didn't say that I may thrust out your eye. He didn't say that I may thrust out your left eye. He said, I want your right eye. Do you see that in the Bible? I want that right eye. I want that dominant eye. I want that shooting eye. I want that I want that right eye. I want what's right in you. Are you listening to me? You say, well, what, what, the right hand is that? Oh, it makes a big difference. You know, even in our culture, in our philosophical, political parties, we have the right and the left. Well, that, even if you don't know what they believe, that's an easy choice. I want to be right. Guys, do you not see that? You say, oh, that don't mean anything. Ho, 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 listen, come here. How about the two thieves on the cross? There was one on the right and the one on the left. Which one went to paradise and which one went to hell? The one that was on the right side. There's a lot in that Bible about that right side. Do you think there's any coincidence that the Bible says when Jesus Christ ascended up to heaven, He sat down on the Right. right hand? Well, it doesn't matter. Oh, it does matter. That which is right... That which is pure, that which is good. I'm telling you what, this Nahash knows what he's after. He's after the right eye. Do you know the devil doesn't want the things in your life that's broken? He wants the things in your life that are right. Every one of us have things in our life that are broken. Broken. But what I'm trying to tell you, the enemy has a target on the things in your life that are right. And whatever you have in your life, okay, you've got things in your life that are wrong. Whatever in your life that's right, don't you understand? That's where the devil's trying to grab. And I'm going to come in there, he says, and I'm going to take all your right eyes out. How gruesome. How depraved, how wicked, how evil. So what do the men say? Can, can you imagine a whole city with everybody walking around with a patch? What a testimony. So what do these men do when he says, all right, I'm going to come in there and get all your right eyes"? What do they say? Pick your Bible. Verse 3. And the elders of Jabez said unto him, give us seven days excuse me, you want seven days to think about this? And, and listen, 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 listen. In other words, you can't make up your mind right off the bat. You've got to have seven days to think about whether or not you want to do this deal. Guys, it doesn't take me seven days to figure out even decisions that, don't even make, you know, that aren't even important. It doesn't take me seven days to figure out if I want to buy this car or not. It doesn't take me seven days to figure out. It take, takes them seven days to figure out whether or not they're going to give their right eyes to this enemy. And they, should we do it? Well, I don't know. Let's pray about this. There's some things you don't have to pray about. There's some things that you just understand. This is, this is stupid. How many of God's people go blindly into things that that's going to destroy their heart, destroy their life? And, they, and they're, well, maybe I'll do. And i tell you, this is what the devil always does. He gets you to roll it over in your head with this decision. You know what Elijah said? He said, how long halt you between two opinions? Yeah. Make up your mind. You're going to serve God, serve Him. You're going to serve Baal. You're going to serve the devil. Just make up your mind. Yeah. Take seven days to think about this. That's some pretty sorry man right there. Well, what are you going to do in that seven days, guys? Thank God for men that have made up their mind they're going to serve the Lord. Amen. That's what I appreciate about you. And that's what the world hates. <laughs> Listen, the world will not tolerate someone that's made up their mind. The enemy of society is that narrow-minded, Bible-believing, God-fearing Christian that is not going to deviate. They've already made up their mind. This is the way we're going to walk there herein. There's nothing to talk about. There's nothing to discuss. There's no committee to sit down with. There's no debate to be had. You can't have what's right in my life. Joshua said, y'all do what you want to do. As for me and my house, we, we, I don't know if he asked Miss Joshua or not. I don't know if he asked his kids or not. He just said, I don't, I don't need seven days to think about this. I, I don't know what some people go through when they get up in the morning on Sunday morning. Do we go to church? I don't know what people do when they get up on Monday morning. Do I read my Bible today? Do I do right? Do I live for God? Give us seven days. What are they going to do in the seven days? Verse 3. And the elders of Jabesh said unto him, Give us seven days respite that we may send messengers into all the coasts of Israel. And if there be no, what's the word? Man, to save us, we will come out to thee. These are not only acquiescing men. They just give in to whatever. These are impotent men. You know, the Bible talks about our God. You know, we have a potentate. He's potent. That means he's got power. Impotent means there's no power. We have an omnipotent God. He's all-powerful. These men are weak as water. You know what they said? Here are the men. The men of Jabesh. They gather around. Well, what do we do? They look at each other and say, Well, we've got to find a man to save us. The men are looking at the men saying we need to find a man to save us. (laughs) There must not have been much of one in their company. Can you imagine a bunch of men saying, Oh, I don't know who. Somebody needs to solve a problem. Somebody, somebody needs to help us with the enemy. I sure wish we could find a man. What powerless, weak, weaklings. You say, Well, preacher, maybe that was a big army out there. Hmm. Okay. But what about the stories of Gideon? You say, well, maybe they were just so outnumbered. They say, well, we've got to have some help. What about David? Little boy David up against the giant. What about all the stories that uh, they didn't even have to fight? They just walked around the city and the wall fell down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. These are weakling men. I tell you what. You know, we live in a society. that This society doesn't want strong men. It nope. nope. wants effeminate men. Amen. So you can mark me down. You can put it on the internet. Amen. I am for toxic masculinity. Amen. 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 Because you know, when you're in a foxhole, you don't need a sissy fighting with you. I'm telling you guys, all this is on purpose to make our country weak, to make weak men and weak homes and weak churches and weak character. Now, having said that, what does it mean to be powerful? What does it mean to be strong? You know, the Bible told the Corinthians, he said, he said, quit you like men. Be strong. It's strength. We're talking about strength. I'm not talking about how big your muscles are. I'm not, and I'm not talking about being an arrogant man. I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about a man that is willing to be a man and put his life on the line and die for his convictions, for his family. And these men aren't willing to do nothing. They're not willing to fight. You know, one day, Joab, David's general, he and his, his whole army got surrounded. Half of them, they were surrounded by the Syrians on one side. They were surrounded, I believe, by the children of Ammon on the other side, which this guy's from. They were encircled. And Joab looked at his brother and said, We're going to have to split this thing up. I'll fight this side, you fight that side. You know what he said? He said, Let's play the men for, for our God and the people. You be a man that way, and I'll be a man that way, and we'll just let God do what he wants to do. But, Amen, we're, we're going to be men, we're going to fight. I can't imagine in my heart being a part of these men of Jabez Why didn't somebody rise up and say Hey, you go tell Naas if he wants my right eye to come get it Praise God I'm not coming that way I'm not giving in And I'm not going to let somebody else fight my battles I'm not going to let somebody else do my praying I'm not going to let somebody else do my living I'm not going to let somebody else be responsible God, help us to have the power of God. Now, let me ask you, men: do we have the power of God? I'm not talking about this. How many men here this morning are impotent in your praying? And you have no power in prayer. You want power? We want power in church. We want power in the nation. We want power in our homes. Somebody, somebody ever have some power to pray? You know, maybe some of our forefathers of the past, maybe they didn't have the education that we have. Maybe they didn't have the means and the materials and the money that we had. But some of those old men, some of that generation back there, they knew how to get a hold of God. And there was power in their lives. I think an impotent man is one that doesn't know how to pray. Doesn't know how to talk to God. Has no power in prayer. The Bible tells us to be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. You know, I think power comes from faith. We need men that are strong in faith. Don't, Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. We need men that are strong in prayer and strong in faith. We need men that are strong... Wait for it. Compassion. He said, Preacher, that compassion and masculine don't go together. You're crazy. The strongest man that ever lived was the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe he was the most compassionate. You know what I read in the Bible? And of some have compassion making a difference. There's power in compassion. I don't think these men had the compassion for their own families and their own children to stand up and say, if I have to fall on the battlefield, I love my family enough, I love my God enough, I have a heart enough for the Lord and for others that I'm going to lay my life down. They didn't have that strength. Where's our power in compassion, our power in prayer, our power in faith and dependence upon God, our power in preaching, our power in leadership? Our power in holiness. These men had no power. We just need somebody else to fix it for us. You know, my dad was somebody everybody else came to to try to fix their problems. As a young man, I never understood that. I had people, my dad wasn't a pastor. And they'd knock on the door, they'd ring the doorbell. I remember all hours of the night sometimes trying to come to my dad's house, going to talk to my dad because they needed somebody to fix what they couldn't fix. And he'd invite them in, talk to them, try to reason with them. You know what, I don't ever remember my dad having to go to 25 different people trying to get things fixed. He just took responsibility for it. Did the best he could. I say we need some men that have some power. But these men of Jabesh, they're acquiescing men. They're impotent men. And then they're humanistic men. You know who they get? They get Saul to be their deliverer. Would you look at chapter 12? Because we read a verse that's without it, you really want to understand the story of how Israel got a king. Saul became the king of Israel because they got out of the will of God. Do you know why they got out of the will of God? 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse number 12. Look at what the prophet Samuel says. Here is his description of why Saul is the king of Israel. 1 Samuel 12, 12. And when ye saw that Nahash... That's our guy... The king of the children of Ammon came against you. Ye said unto me, Nay, but a king shall reign over us. Look at it. When the Lord your God was your king. You know where Saul came from? He came from this enemy, Nahash, that comes against the people of God. You know what I tell you this morning? I tell you that many times when problems come, when enemies come in, when difficulties come, many people, instead of running to God, they run away from God. And they run for another answer. Don't you think God is big enough to take care of Nahash? If God can make great whales, I don't think Nahash is too big of a man to take care of. If God can part the Red Sea and defeat Pharaoh's army, what is Nahash? Why don't these men of Israel say, Oh God, our help cometh from the Lord that made heaven and earth. You don't need a man to save you. You need God to save you. And God's got a lot more power than Saul. But they want that flesh to take care of that problem. Oh, so many times, guys. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, please listen to the Spirit of God this morning. So many times when problems invade our lives, instead of running to the God that is God Almighty, we run to the Saul's. We run to the flesh. We run to every other source to find help. Men of Jabesh, they're looking for Saul when they need to be looking for God. So you know what I tell you? They're humanistic men. They couldn't say with the word of God, our help. You know what they're, they're sending out? Hey, send out a messenger. We need help. We need a man. Oh, but here's what the book says. Our help cometh from the Lord which made heaven and earth. And he will not suffer thy foot to be moved. And behold, look, he's the one that keeps Israel. And he neither slumbers nor sleeps. And these men, they're so humanistic in their thinking that they've rejected God's rulership over them. And it doesn't, listen, it doesn't matter if it's Nahash that is their king or if Saul is their king, they're not letting God be their king. God, give us men that say, Lord, you're my king. And you're going to run my life. Look, it's it's long past the day men are going home saying, I'm going to run my family. Men, you better let God run you and then trust that you'll be able to lead your family problem with these men God's not ruling their life they're humanistic men and then I've got to get a fourth thing before we get the good news everybody okay grab judges real quick this is your father's day message happy father's day judges 21 now here's my question how'd these men get this way is that a good question How did these men get so weak? How did these men get so convictionless? How, how, How did they get that way? I'm going to show you right from the Bible. Because there was a culture in Jabesh. There was a problem in Jabesh. And it started with past generations. And I'll read it for you. I won't read this whole story. It's a wild one about how Benjamin's destroyed out of Israel and they're trying to get wives for the men that are left. But everybody said they won't give them their wives. They're women to be their wives. It's a wild story. Judges twenty one eight, And they said, What one is there of the tribes of Israel that came not up to Mizpah to the Lord? And behold, there came none to the camp from Jabesh gilead to the assembly. For the people were numbered, and behold, there was none of the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead there. And the congregation sent thither 12,000 men of the violence and commanded them, saying, Go and smite the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead with the edge of the sword, with the women and the children. This is what happened in Jabesh Gilead. They were the only tribe, listen to me, they were the only people that would not assemble themselves with God's people. The only ones. They said, hey, we're having an assembly. All the people of God, we need to meet together. All the children of Israel from all over the country came and they met together. But there was one group of people that said, we don't need to meet. We got things to do. That was Jabesh. Jabesh, Gilead, these men there, they said, "We, we don't need to go to the house of God. We don't need to go assemble with the people of God. We'll just do our own thing. You know what that translated to at the end of the day? Unfaithfulness in their lives. And when you have unfaithfulness to the assembly of God's people, you'll have unfaithfulness in your character. You'll have weakness in your character. And I'm just telling you, I'm giving you the why, the background of why they became so weak. Because way back there, they decided they didn't need God and they didn't need the people of God. Let me give you the closing of the story. Take your Bible, please, to 1 Samuel chapter 31. I've said a lot of bad things about these men. I'm going to say something good about them now. Amen. 1 Samuel chapter 31. You know the good thing about God? Look up here. You know the good thing about God? He can change people. Amen. As weak and as godless and as unfaithful and as humanistic, he can change those men. Let me show you how he did it. In 1 Samuel chapter 31, do you know the story? King Saul, their great champion, who now has gone to, to the devil, for right? To a witch to try to find help. This man of the flesh. In 1 Samuel chapter uh, 31, the Bible's going to show us he dies. And all of his sons die, including good Jonathan. They all die. The Philistines come in on them and start abusing them. Look verse number 8. 1 Samuel 31. And it came to pass on the morrow when the Philistines came to strip the slain, that they found Saul and his three sons fallen to Mount Gilboa, and they cut off his head. And stripped off his armor. So the Muslims weren't the first to do that. The Philistines were. And sent into the land of the Philistines round about. To publish it in the house of their idols among the people. And they put his armor in the house of Ashtaroth. And they fastened his body to the wall of Bethshan. See how they're abusing these corpses. They cut their heads off. They put them on the wall for everybody to see. Verse 11. And when the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead heard of that, which the Philistines had done to Saul, watch your Bible, all the valiant men arose and went all night and took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Bethshan and came to Jabesh and burnt them there and they took their bones and buried them under a tree at Jabesh and fasted seven days. Now here's, I know what you're going to ask. Where were all them valiant men? I'm telling you, something changed in their hearts. They didn't have any valiant men in chapter 11. But they got some valiant men in chapter 31. And they went into enemy territory. They went into the Philistines' home turf. And they went to the very place that they had up their their, their heroed idols, you see. And their, their trophies. And they went to the trophy wall. And they, they went all night. And they took the bodies down at great, great peril. You say, what happened? This is what happened. I can see those men in Jabesh talking together. They hear what happens to Saul. They cut off his head. They cut off Jonathan's head. They got their bodies all hanging up there for the birds to eat. And they're mocking and I can hear the men of Jabez talking. You remember what he did for us? We were sorry and low down, and he came and rescued us from there. And I tell you what, we didn't do anything then. There's just something rising up in my soul. Because I'm appreciative of what he'd done for me. And I can't get over his kindness to us. And we're going to go get his body if we die. You know what? You've got somebody a whole lot greater than Saul that's done something for you if you're saved. You know what it ought to do in your life? It ought to rise some courage in your heart. It ought to change your life. Because he also was hung up. They didn't cut off his head, but he hung between heaven and earth for you. And he bore your, your cross and your sin. If you're saved this morning, he's your savior. And you ought to have some courage rise up in your heart to be what God wants you to be. These men got changed. And they found courage, and the courage came out of gratitude. You know what? I don't think I can talk saved people into being courageous. I don't even think I can talk men into being godly. But if you'd get some gratitude and thankfulness in your heart for what Jesus has done for you, it'd make you a different man. As I'm finished, I've got to finish with David because in 2 Samuel, just a couple pages over, chapter 2, I'm finished, I promise. 2 Samuel chapter 2. Verse number 4, would you look at it? 2 Samuel 2, 4. And the men of Judah came, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. And they told David, saying that the men... Of Jabesh-Gilead were they that buried Saul. And David sent messengers unto the men of Jabesh-Gilead. And said unto them, Blessed be ye of the Lord, that ye have showed this kindness unto your Lord, even unto Saul, and have buried him. And now the Lord show kindness and truth unto you. And I also will requite you This kindness. Because you have done this thing. These men that were sorry men. Their hearts were changed. And at the end of the day. They're blessed men. They're blessed of King David. They're blessed of their God. Because God changed their hearts. And God changed their character. And no matter who you are this this morning, God can change your character. And God can change your heart. And God can put a blessing on your life. And put a blessing on your family. And He can take what was rotten and ruinous. And He can make it victorious and blessed. But you got to let Him change your heart. And it should be His goodness that leads you to repentance.